Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broker Breakdown with myself and James. Uh, we've been chatting so much these last few yeah, weeks about stuff to do with home and auto insurance and, you know, kind of the insurance-based conversations that we always have on the podcast. And this week specifically, I, I know, James, you just literally messaged me a couple you know, a couple of days ago on this, or even it might have even been yesterday, saying, let, you know, we, we should talk about forest fires with what's going on presently because it is it is a hot topic right now, literally, for uh, for everybody in Canada. Yeah, it's... Um... It's it's definitely they're they're saying that the stats are showing that they're it's basically it's been the the hottest start I guess you would, another pun there um, to forest fires that we've had at least what they call the spring season so far so on average uh, they say around there's about sixteen hundred forest fires during like their spring season and then this year we're already about twenty four hundred so. And you've seen across Canada, not only just in Ontario, but you've seen in Quebec, you've seen in Nova Scotia, you've seen out west in Alberta, uh, in British Columbia. The fires are just are just screaming across every province right now. Um, and not again, this episode is. I said to Mike earlier, this episode I think is going to be more of a half and half. Like I think half it's going to be more. Just obviously is like some common sense tips on obviously what to do when you are combating forest fires and wildfires in general, but also too long term, because again, we can't really sit here and say this is what's going to happen because we're going to have to see how this kind of plays out. But long term, how this plays out from an insurance standpoint, not only just from the auto and home side, but possibly again from the commercial side um, and basically how that dwindles down to basically every part of the insurance world, because realistically, if this is going to impact everything, realistically, it's going to impact homes, it's going to impact cars, it's going to impact businesses, it's going to impact basically a widespread of society. So again, it's really just going to see how time really moves on and how much damage is really going to be. And realistically, how this is going to be categorized um, with the insurance industry, um, if it's going to be a catastrophic event, um, which realistically it's it's getting there because when you have multiple provinces all dealing with the same issue um even like for fort mcmurray fort mcmurray years ago was classified as a catastrophic event um so once it gets to that point um most insurance companies will literally just pay out regardless of what coverage you have because it is catastrophic but again only time is going to tell once we get to that point and they can kind of do their review and see is there enough damage to classify it as that? And realistically, who's impacted? It's funny because we've—I've well, not funny, but it's kind of been a—it's been a really, really, really you know hotter topic in Ontario. And and most times, being as far as we are in southern Ontario, you know, we don't get a lot of news on it. Like if there's stuff happening out in BC and Alberta, we sure we like get some some national coverage. Or you might talk about it with like you know family or friends at a at a dinner or whatnot, but I've noticed this season specifically, there's been so much news even down in Niagara about it, just because of the, I guess the extent and you know what we're what we're battling right across the country. So it's I know that a lot of people are kind of wondering about that. You know how does it even affect your home insurance policy or commercial or car, um, things like that. 
But I mean, look, I, I was bringing up in one of those maps before when me and James were chatting about this, one of those interactive maps. And I know that there was um, a couple active fighters just in the Algonquin area, one more down kind of um, Eastern Ontario, kind of South of Pembroke area. So it's, it's, it's areas that we haven't historically seen before. It's not like every year we talk about, you know, BC and Alberta fighters, but this stuff in a little bit more of that kind of not just, not just way up North Ontario, but like obviously creeping its way down. I think that's the spot that throws people through a loop, James. It's not yeah, it's the, the yearly stuff. It's closer to home now, right? So people are are, are more. I don't want to say like concerned, but like they are. Like unfortunately, like when you hear stuff on the news and it's like, oh, all the way in Alberta or BC, we're like, ah, yeah, like it's it's. I, I feel bad for the people that are having to deal with it, but a lot of people just they don't like they don't have to worry about it because it's not in their backyard. Well, now it's it's kind of in our backyard, like like you said, Algonquin's only really three four hours away. Pembroke is probably maybe three hours away, so you're getting you're getting to that point where it's it's creeping into your backyard. Um, and you even said, Mike, uh, before we even came on the on the on the podcast here, you had some event yesterday that was canceled because of how bad the smoke and air quality was. Well, that's just gonna if that's impacting everyone now, right? Even down here, where we're still three four hours away from the next closest fire, we are still seeing impacts down here from it just from the smoke that's basically billowing down into Southern Ontario. Yeah. I mean, that was, I was super surprised um, being like, Oh my God, like, you know, why we're having stuff canceled down here, but I've seen a couple of photos and just the overall kind of haze in the year from all the smoke that's been drifting across. Right. It's, it's something that again, we haven't seen before. Yeah. Even if I look on my window, it's, it's hazy out. Like you, the sun is, yeah, is peeking through, but it's, it, it's hazy out. Like it's, it's, it's very, it's even yesterday, yesterday I went to go, uh, I went outside, um, to grab my golf clubs to, to wash up for, um, for tomorrow when I play, but I went outside and it was like all like smoky out and like, you could just like you, and you could smell the fires. Like I, I had my windows open cause it was like the last few days have been a little bit cooler so I was like, oh, there's, I'll just turn off the AC and throw the, like open the windows, get some nice air in. But then like you could start smelling the fire, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's time to close these windows up, right? So, like I said, even being three, four hours away from the next closest fire, like I said, we are still seeing those effects down in this area. Now, are we really going to see the impacts of like if we were like 20 minutes away from a fire? No. Are the fires really going to spread? into southern ontario probably not because again like the density of our forests and our wooded areas are way less compared to what it is up there basically once you get to like barry or really that kind of area like it's all just basically like maybe barry barry might see it if it gets really really bad and kind of gets into that area but like once you get into like vaughn like there's really no trees anyways so the impacts we're probably going to see in southern ontario are going to be very minimal at best but again if you are traveling north um i would just use extreme caution at this time and i even know there's some areas actually that a little bit farther north like i'm talking like elliot lake kirkland lake um timmins that kind of area i know there's areas up there that are basically like completely like locked down right now like the roads are shut off 
Like they're not letting anyone basically like travel up in those certain areas, depending on how bad the fires are. Yeah. I mean, Northern Ontario always has stuff. And I mean, that map again, right now I'm looking at is that kind of the forest fire danger ratings, whatever they want to call them. Is that the extreme kind of tab or, or color code right now? So there's a, I mean, I'm looking at what looks to be about 20 active fires in, uh, in Northern Ontario right now, quite a, quite a bit, obviously Northern, but, um, there's there's a part to this too where a lot of the insurance companies too, James, and this is something that people may or may not know. When, especially when you're in uh, a certain zone, and I know everyone's a little bit different. I think some might be twenty five, fifty kilometers, a hundred. I don't actually, I'm not even sure what the exact kilometers are, but I know on some of the websites I've seen it before. It's like if you're in an active zone of let's say flood or, or in this case fire you're not able to bind a new policy, right? Whether it's a new home that you're closing on or even doing like, um, for example, a builder's risk or maybe a higher risk home. If you're within a certain range, you can't put insurance on a property because of these fires, right? Depending on your range, I guess is the one thing I wanted to say. Yeah, and those those ranges will change depending on the company. But I think most companies are on 50 kilometers, which again... Great point to bring up because actually that was something that I didn't even think of. And then that's a great point to tell people because realistically at this time, if you are in those areas, like insurance is probably not your your first uh, thought on your mind. But again, if it is like I said, if it is coming up for renewal and you're like, oh, I want to do this. Well, you might have a little bit of trouble doing it because like I said, some companies, and like I said, depending on where you are, might just say, well, for the time being, we can't take on any risks because you are um, close to that, the wildfires or forest fires that we are seeing. I'm looking at the map right now, actually, and like um, a big, big area where, and to me, this is even, to me, it's not really that far north. But like Sudbury and Elliott Lake, like there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, just in that little area. And like I said, that to me, I know some people might think that's really north, but like in a grand scheme of things, like that's not that northern Ontario at all. No, no, like I mean, North Bay, North Bay is a little bit further. What would that be? West from Elliot, from that whole area. But I mean, that's like, that's like what, about a five hour drive. Yeah, so, Sudbury from here would be about five hours. North Bay is probably around four because northwest, north of West Bay, or sorry, northwest of North Bay would be Sudbury. So North Bay is probably four hours and then Sudbury is probably another five, depending on where you, like how you go up, what, what route you really go up. But realistically, you still got like Thunder Bay, is 12 hours right like timmins is probably 10 like there's still so much n- northern parts of the of the province that we really don't think about um that even looking at this map honestly like isn't even that bad it's almost like this middle part of ontario that's the bad part like once you get up to like thunder bay like thunder bay is yellow obviously it's still not good kenora is like in green or sorry they're in yellow Dryden's in yellow. Like, there's literally areas up here that are like so far north that aren't even impact, like really not that impacted. But you get to this middle part, like I said, Timmins, North Bay, Sudbury, 
Elliot Lake, even Sault Ste. Marie. I find like almost this middle part is like where we're really seeing a lot of the congestion of these fires. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and that goes back to what I kind of wanted to make mention of is that if you're someone that maybe didn't have a mortgage on your place, it's like your cottage property and it's, it's uninsured. It's, it's going to be hard at this point. If you're in, if, if you're in range to get an insurance policy in place, because even if you do, and it's bound by a company that has a restriction and something were to happen, hope knock on what hope that ever does. Um, you're in a spot where they, you know, they have the right to just decline coverage anyways, saying that you bound it when there was a, you know, um, basically like a no binding rule in place. Yeah, it's um, and I something I said to Mike before we even came on too was just some common sense things. Like I know a lot of people are very like they their dream home or their dream vehicle. Like obviously vehicles you can get up and move them, but like for your home, I really suggest to people don't try and like hold on to your home and like stay there if there's a fire coming your way like there's really not much you can do like there's firefighters and volunteers for a reason that are that are trained professionals to do this i would really suggest not staying at your home if you are like either evacuated i don't think we're i don't think we've gotten to that point yet in ontario I know like out in Alberta, Nova Scotia, they've, they've gotten to points where they've had to evacuate certain communities, but I would just highly suggest not being that person that tries to stick around and saying, Oh, I'm, I'm going to combat this myself because at the end of the day, a home can be repaired. A car can be replaced, but if you're combating a forest fire and you can't breathe and you pass out and then you're killed because of a fire, well, we can't really just replace a person. So just listen to the professionals get out when you can if you need to if there is an evacuation order or like i said if if there's if the air quality is that bad and you really can't breathe because i know even people down here yesterday i was hearing a lot of people were saying that they couldn't like they had more mostly people with breathing problems were saying this but they were saying that like they had issues yesterday because of how bad the air quality was yeah this in certain areas too, right? The one thing that as you get further north, um, you're getting into a lot of places that are are pretty far away from a fire hall, right? We don't talk with that nearly as much down in more urban areas where everything's either hydrant protected or or at very least fire hall protected within a couple of kilometers. But there's lots of areas up north where, and not even too far up north, where... Um, you know, you might be well over 13 to 15 kilometers, if not more away from a fire hall. And there's a few things that are actually interesting for fires to, to mention is that when it comes to like a home insurance policy, most insurance companies do it based on your kilometer range from, from the responding fire hall. Um, some of which have, you know, the tanker trucks and whatnot as well, James, that, that come out. But the thing I wanted to point out is that in, if you're in an area that's well, well, well more rural, and maybe harder to get to, or for example, like an island property where, you know, there's obviously no way except from getting like some type of like pumper from the actual lake you're on. Insurance companies really don't rate for that, right? We look at the two standard things historically that have been hydrants and and fire hall proximity. So if you're in an area that's super rural and you're, you know, 15, 20 clicks away, the reality is that fires at that point if if it gets to your house, 
the, the insurance companies have almost looked at it as a you know as a lost cause. Like the, the chances of stopping that are pretty uh, pretty low at that point, anyways. Which is why, just to bring things back around, you typically pay more in areas that are more rural. You know, someone that has that that home or the cottage probably already knows from talking with their own broker agent that if you're so far away, you're, you know, you're going to pay more for that kind of, I guess, luxury you could say of, of having that beautiful property up north. And even from like the commercial side of things, because I've been dealing with this a lot recently, like even from a builder's risk, like building that home, a lot of companies do not like a builder's risk policy and not having that fire hall or hydrant within their limitations. And nine times out of 10, you almost have to go to a specialized company that will take that on. Because like I said, normal companies like the normal market do not like that when it comes to builder's risks, because there's just, again, all the materials that are there. Again, most homes are built with wood. So obviously combustible. Um, they really, really do not like that. Even down in Southern Ontario, I had one recently and I was like floored. It's literally like right outside or right. It's like five minutes from the Hamilton airport. And they classified that as being too far away, even though that there was a hall that was like six kilometers away, but because the hydrant wasn't there yet, they didn't want it because of that. And I was like, really? That's not even that rural. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's a, that goes back to the whole appetite conversation, right? Where there some places only want hydrant protected rates or only provide policies for hydrant protected zones, which is uh, a little more a little more specific. Their their appetite's a little bit different than maybe some other companies to be work with. And like I said, that kind of breaks down to what we've been saying the last two episodes, realistically, that the market is tightening up. Like we've seen over the last three years that markets have markets were going in that direction where they were kind of loosening things up. But like recently, like they've just really tightened things up and there's just been a lot more rules and regulations that are put forth to basically make sure that companies are getting what they really want and it's getting tough for the consumer because like i said for for certain things like that like being in a very populated area like hamilton i never would have thought that um that area would have been classified as a high-risk area because of how the fire protection was but again you learn something every day do i personally agree with it not really but again what what are we what am i supposed to do if the if the company is saying well we we classify as high risk right you can hum and haul all you want, but at the end of the day, it's not like they're going to change what they do as a company because of one person, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's right. Uh, their appetites constantly change. All we can do is give, I guess, the proper advice based on which insurance company is the right fit for you at the end of the day um, for the coverage that you want as well. So, kind of going away from. I guess the common sense things of the fires and how, and obviously if you're combating a fire, obviously get out if you need to, like we're not trained professionals. Like it's not like your fire, it's not like your house hose is going to take down a forest fire, but um, how do you see this playing out, Mike in long term? Like we, we know like it's, it's not going to be like rocket science here if these continue to happen and there's damages, obviously like we got to think that this is going to be a massive hit to insurance companies and realistically rates are probably going to go up because of this, regardless of what's going on outside, but it's really just going to hit insurance companies more 
where rates are already currently going up, but this is really just going to tack on more layers of increases that are probably going to have to happen over the next few years. Yeah, I guess it it always depends on the amount of damage, you know, which insurance companies are paying more for, you know, where their risks are. Um, if I had to guess, if you're a carrier, like an insurance provider that really elevates on the more rural properties, especially cottage country and up north where you're looking at those those kind of risks that don't have hydrants, it's in that fire hall protected type of model, or even like a, a seasonal provider, I have to assume that rates go up over the years as a result. It is a trickle-down effect like everything. Insurance is obviously no different. We've said this multiple times, but it takes years, right? It doesn't just happen one year over the next. Um, I, I would think that people that unfortunately have claims always are going to pay that a little bit more as much as it's a pain in the butt. The reality is, you know, claims obviously affect the policy and the price you pay, but um well, we're never going to know, James, like what the amount would be. Eh? Like, we're not like, there's no way to really determine that. But yeah, I, it's going to just take more. time. It's just going to take time because, like I said, like the Fort McMurray fires, because those are probably the biggest ones currently. We don't know if we're going to get past that kind of level because this Fort McMurray was a very, like, kind of isolated, like, one little area where this year we're seeing a spread. So the problem with that is that if, unless you combine all those, it's really going to be hard to kind of compare them to Fort McMurray, but Fort McMurray alone was $3.2 billion in damages, right? Um, we're so early on in the stage of seeing this kind of stuff and it kind of playing out. We obviously don't have damage numbers yet. So like I said, time is only going to tell on where we get to that point. It was funny. Actually last week I had someone, um, I had someone, I guess, debate with me that, well, if I like insurance is there, like if I want to use, I pay for it. If I want to use it, like my rate shouldn't go up. And I was like to them, well, no, th- like that's not how it works. And that's not how it should work. Because again, if you're using it, you should pay more because you're using a service that you're paying for. It's just like if you buy a new car or buy a house, if your credit is lower, you're going to pay more for that car. You're going to pay more for that home based off your credit. It's the same thing with insurance. If you're if you have constant accidents, constant tickets, constant claims in your home, yes, how the industry is set up is that they're going to spread it across basically everyone on average, but that single person, like if Mike has 15 accidents, Mike is going to pay for those 15 accidents, but me, I will probably also see a little bit of an increase from him as well, because they can't just throw it all on Mike, even though they're going to throw a majority of the rate on Mike, they're going to throw a lot of it on the general public too, because they're seeing um, people make more claims and have more tickets. Tickets they really don't care about because realistic tickets they make more money off that because there's really not they're not paying out claims for that. Um but yeah, it was just it was just funny that they that's kind of what their what their input was that if they don't if if they they pay for it, they should be able to use it without penalty, but I'm like, well, no, that's not that's not how it should work at all. <laughs> 
It's um, yeah. And I mean, insurance is there when you need it, but I think there should be a common ground conversation about the fact that the more you use it, the more you're going to pay because the insurance company then sees a habit as well, right? That's just the reality of the situation. Home insurance has kind of changed over the years for the common consumer. I still look at it the same way that I think it was originally designed, which was your fire insurance policy, right? You're basically insuring against your house to say, if I pay $1,000 a year and my home costs 300000 to rebuild on the low side, that if something happens to it where it burns to the ground, heaven forbid, and you lose all your stuff in your home, the insurance company is going to repair and replace your home back to what it was before. So if you if you use that example, I mean, you could, you'd have to pay $1,000 a year over 300 years to say that you've paid for the entire house worth of what it would cost to rebuild from an insurance perspective, James. So no one's living that long. The reality is we can't, if we could all self-insure, like if, if every single person was able to self-insure their houses and do it and be completely fine the next day, people would. The reality is as all, as like, you know, 99% of the homeowners out there we're basically providing money for the promise of trust, you know, to, to come back and help if there is a fire that that takes over, that takes out your entire life in a, in a quick second, which is which is very upsetting to those people that are in it. So there's a purpose to the policy. It's always been the same. Um, I just think that in, in general, as we put in, and I'll say society-wise, as we start putting in more and more smaller types of claims you know, for damages between like one and $2,000, $2,000. That was never really the designed intention of the policy. And as a result, if you do that continuously and use it for those kind of smaller things that really shouldn't go through insurance, in essence, it, it kind of skews the mindset of, of, of other, you know, other people, friends and family of when you talk with, oh, you know, I lost a bundle of shingles. So yeah, I, it's a tough conversation to have because I think the way that we view it as brokers might be different than the average person. So it's trying to just to maybe project what the policy is actually there for, which are those big fire losses. So heaven forbid, if you have something happen in one of these monster fires, James, you're able to, you know, still get some money back for your contents and then rebuild and you have options available that's why you've been paying in, right, for that kind of promise of an insurance policy. So, I mean, there's lots of moving parts to that, but uh, it's it's always a conversation piece, I find. I'm going to throw a stat at you, and then I'm going to ask you a, a question. So last week, we we did the episode about homes and whatnot, and I, I said that basically um, 34% of written premium from homes go directly back to claims on homes. So that was that was a stat that we talked about last week. But the question I want to ask based off that and based on what we're seeing now, because I think what we're seeing now with the fi- wildfires are definite cause to put a claim through on your home. 110%. If there's a fire, obviously your house burns down. Even if it's like a partial burn and like you have to repair certain areas um, and that kind of stuff. Or like you have to like repair your paint in your car or whatever it might be. But my question is, and this is kind of going maybe a little bit off topic, but 
are we seeing in the last little bit consumerism changing where a lot of consumers are making very silly, small claims on their insurance? Because I think recently I've seen a lot of clients either ask me or try to make claims or even just like out in the market, I'm, I'm reading articles that there's just people that are making just very, very silly claims on things or like I'm hearing or I'm seeing like on the reports that they've made like a $200 claim or like, and again, this is not for glass. Like this is like for like, like a dent or like a little paint scruff. Are you seeing the kind of same thing that I'm seeing here that like, I, I feel like the consumerism behavior is, is evolving where like a lot of people are making very, very silly, small claims and then it's like, well, with those silly small claims, your insurance is going up, especially on the home side of things. Because when you make one claim on your home, it's going up regardless. Instead of using it for like when you really, really need it, like in the event of these wildfires or a flood where like majority of your home or the full home is either damaged or completely gone. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's what has changed for sure. I, I don't know how many decades. I don't, I've, we, I've been in it now 10 years, but definitely, definitely the amounts people are wanting to submit through insurance are, are becoming lower and lower. But at the same time, just with general inflation, labor and materials is obviously on the rise as well. So what could have been there's two elements to this, two areas that I think have directly affected this. One, we have more people um, that don't have the same household rebuilding skills that they did, arguably 50 years ago, where people could do things themselves and or had a neighbor. It was more community-based. I think now we're in a very different time where you pay for something and you want to receive something. So I think it's that- the convenience thing too, right? People pay for convenience. So they can just drop it off at a shop or get someone to come over to their house and do it. It's they'd rather just pay to, to do it than them do it themselves. Cause they think that their time is valuable, right? Everyone's time right. is valuable, but in the world that we live in, we love to pay for convenience. I know people that literally will pay a handyman to come over and change all their light bulbs because they have like 12 or 14 foot ceilings and they don't want to go up that high. So they'll pay someone to come over and, and repair that or, or replace them just because they don't want to go up on a, a high ladder. But again, convenience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Convenience is big, but there's a lot of, yeah, if you don't know how to do something, you can either learn how to do it or you can pay someone else to to do that, right? And that I think directly is related to insurance as well. Um, I find we have a very like split society where we have like all these resources of like YouTube and Google and stuff and like... People, I hear all the time, people are always like YouTubing, like how to do this, how to do that. But then you get like the other side of society, like where I said, it's more the convenience side. I'm not going to watch a 20 minute video to try to learn it just to do it once. Like I'm just going to pay someone to come over and do it or go to a shop and get someone to, to fix it. Right. For me, like when I had my older like vehicle, I would do all the brakes on it. I would do like basically all like the maintenance I could do on it myself and all the like the, the really like in-depth stuff I'd obviously bring to a shop, but like brakes, tires, like any any kind of filters, that kind of stuff. I did I did myself, right? But again, some people are just going to pay for the convenience and just go here, do it, and it's the professionals doing it, and it's 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 off my hands, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Sure, of course, there's always going to be that, and there's probably more of that than there ever has been uh, in history for us at this point in time. 
But to answer that question too on the claims, like for an example, putting in like, you know, a wind damage claim for a bundle of shingles that's going to cost you $1,000 is not the right play. But this is where societal trends have gone, right? If your neighbor's done it and you chat with them, there's this idea or this premise that it's like you pay for an insurance policy, use it. And for home insurance specifically, I would argue that's the wrong way of thinking about it because the, the it was designed as a fire insurance policy and is now over the years adapted in other types of coverages, James, right? Water, wind, different things. Before it was, if your home burned to the ground, you're going to get insurance money to help repair or replace your house. That's always been the idea. So to answer your question, yeah, but at the same time, I, I also want to say that I do get it, right? People want to get something back. Um, the, the the one thing you need to know, the one reality is the more often you utilize that insurance policy, and I'll use a home or auto, um, you know, obviously you're, you will probably see higher rates. That's the general rule of thumb. And we've seen a lot of those wind storms recently. And on, even in Southern Ontario, like look at the last three years, I think we've had at least one big ones every summer, basically. Right. So we're seeing people like, oh, like I had like four shingles blow off. And it's like, well, just go nail them back on your on your roof. Like that's that's kind of what I want to tell people. It's like there's no point of putting a claim through when your deductible is a thousand bucks or twenty five hundred bucks or whatever it might be, depending on how you set up your policy to put up a row of shingles like that. Just that does that's you're going to pay more just on the deductible side of things than you would if you just paid someone else to do it or even did it yourself right so yeah, yeah. i think i think consumerism is, has changed a lot um and like i said i'm not i'm not saying like these f- wildfires or like a flood or a windstorm is not worth it but i think you really have to gauge and do your research and see like Yes, a wildfire. If it's bur- if your house burns down, <laughs> yeah, there's no question about it. If there's a flood and half your house is flooded, fine. If your whole roof blows off from a wild from a windstorm, great. But I think if it's like minor, I think people really need to do their research because I I always tell people like, well, what's it going to cost if you just if you did it yourself out of pocket based on what your deductible is? You I always had those conversations because why are you going to put it through insurance, pay more? And then have a long, like short term pay more because your deductible is more than what the repair would be, and long term pay more because now your rate's going to go up because you just put it through insurance. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's there's always a conversation piece. I, I think there's no right or wrong answer. What I'll say no, on that topic at all. is that if you decide that you want to put it in for a couple thousand dollars in damage minus your deductible amount, and that means um, and you value that. I will 100% support you as long as you know all the details and all of the possible outcomes. Um, I would typically shy away. But then again, if that's important to you and you don't have the cash to do it, then I 100% agree with putting it in, just knowing that there might be you know, a slight increase on renewal or you know, maybe, maybe you should know that if you have two or three claims, there is the likelihood that you don't get the same insurance quality moving forward from, even, from the companies. Even a big, like, even like, multiple claims on a car all in like a little small little time frame companies will also kind of be like well do we want to renew this person because they're just making claims over and over and over again so there i've I've seen times where companies have done that they've not renewed people not companies that we've worked with i don't 
I don't, I haven't had, but like I've had clients come to me saying that their company is not renewing them because they've made small claims. Like they made four small claims in the last two years or five years or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, we don't want to insure this person anymore. So even from that point, even from an auto side, home side, yeah, I see that all the time where like if you make like three, four claims like in a year or two, yeah, most home insurance companies will be like, nope, we're not renewing this. Yeah, that's been a thing over the last decade as well, right? Where the number of claims in a certain period of time too, right? So it it might be like in five years, how many property claims have you submitted as an example? Well, that was um, a stat last week that we talked about, Mike, is that even in the last 10 years, home insurance, so home insurance, I'm talking like home, condo, tenant, um, that kind of stuff. The claim rate in 10 years has increased 40%. So right, I right. said last week, yeah, that might not that might not seem like a lot to people over a 10-year span, but it's still a lot of more claims that you're adding on, right, to the... In, insurance industry like i said again going back to last week 55 percent of premium written on auto insurance it goes right back to claims 34 percent of that on on the home side goes right back to claims and from last week only 8.7 percent of premium written is actual profitable um premium from the insurance companies so it's not like we're profiting 20 30 40 percent like 55% 55% of it alone is going to auto insurance claims, right? So Yeah, right. It's yeah, only going to yeah. continue to go up realistically and yeah, it's like I said, it's it's you know what, there's no right or wrong answer when you're making a claim, but I always want to make sure my clients have the best educated decision they can make based off what information they have at, the, at that time. If they have all the information and they make their decision, I am never going to sit there and judge them. But I will sit there and kind of say to them, like, listen, like you only had like 20% of the information. You made this decision. Why didn't you come to me and ask me first? Which again, that usually doesn't happen. My clients are pretty, have really good communication with me and I have very good communication with them. But maybe people coming from another broker or another agent and they were like, oh, I didn't call my broker and I did this. And I was like, oh, that's probably wasn't the best idea. You probably maybe should have asked them their professional opinion before that. But again, that's why it's always important to get someone that you trust that can have these hard conversations with you prior to making a decision. That's right. Yeah. You know what? There's two aspects. It's us in the industry making sure we tell you what you're covered for and also what questions you might want to know. But there's also the other side where it's like, okay, guys, from a client perspective, what do you need to know or what do you want to know too, right? About certain types of losses, whether it's even as simple as falling tree to smoke damage in your house to, you know, is the basement covered for water? Those common things. I love answering those questions for people. Um, but there's gotta be that little bit of, you know, self due diligence, I would say as well, so that you're not, you're not just putting your head in the sand and saying, I hope it's all good to go. Mike, what's your final take on this week's episode? I would say for everything to do with the fires, because it's such a common thing, we're going to probably see it all summer long. Um, I think my biggest takeaway would be, you know, if you're in an area right now that, um, or maybe this is even just a good talking point in general for everybody, right? You know, make sure your your home insurance policy, talk with your agent or broker about ensuring that you have that little bit deeper conversation 
about your home insurance. I'll put it that far because the fires are going to affect things. Um, maybe this is kind of a, you know, a kick in the right direction to say, I need to know more about what my actual home policy covers, whether that's through, you know, either one, either one of us or um, whoever you use. So it's always that kind of self plug at the end. I know I, I'm kind of repetitive on that, but I, I, I truly believe. Hey, you're that, consistent. <laughs> yeah. Having that same person that looks after your stuff. I mean, we trust lots of people in, um, financial and life insurance and mortgages and houses, all these different things. I don't think your insurance policies for your home or your car should be in any different of a category. So my my constant battle is how do we get people to care about that? So this is the perfect time. You know, give your give your representative a call and say, hey, there's been stuff going on. Just I just wanted to take five minutes, what you know, and answer a few questions. And I think that's a, uh, I think that's really really important for all clients to do. Yeah, do it before it's too late. Because if it's too late, there's really not much we can do, right? If 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 this isn't like the kick in the pants that clients need to kind of really be like, oh, like what am I actually insured for? Because if this if this if this creeps close to my community, I want to make sure that I'm going to be covered if something like this happens. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's got to be. And I mean, we don't know the extent about where the fires will move to, but what I will say is this is a good talking point to say, hey, I am 100 kilometers away, but I live up north. You know, maybe this is an opportunity where it's like, holy smokes, like we should have home insurance in place, right? It, not just kind of go under underinsured or self-insured. Um, again, there's no right or wrong answer, but it's it's maybe the a talking point that's needed. I would say my takeaway, maybe not insurance um, related, but... I, I was kind of harping on throughout the episode, just use common sense. If you're being evacuated, like I said, homes can be repaired, cars can be replaced, businesses can be rebuilt. But if you're severely injured or killed because of a, a forest fire or any kind of obviously catastrophic natural disaster, um, it just, I would always say, listen to the professionals. If they're saying, evacuate, wear masks, whatever it might be. Don't go here. Don't travel there. Like obviously people want to have their freedoms and all that kind of stuff. But again, these, these are serious things happening. We're not like, not every person's a trained professional to obviously combat forest fires and fires in general. So I would always just say, use common sense. If they're, if they're getting close and you're, like I said, you're being evacuated or told to, to get away from a certain area or stay away from a certain area. I would highly suggest using their suggestions because like I said, through insurance, that's why you have insurance for, we can repair, rebuild your house. We can replace your car. We can rebuild your business. But if you're severely injured and you have to live your life a completely different way, or unfortunately pass away because of smoke or again, fires in general, again, we can't really replace people. So that would be my kind of takeaway. It's just, please use common sense during these times where again, we're a lot more people are being impacted now. So where we might not have seen this in the past and we're like, Oh, like what do we do? Just again, listen to the professionals. And like I said, just get out if you need to. And yeah, don't just don't be that hero. Don't be the hero. That's like, Oh, I'm going to use my house hose and spray all this down. It's just, it's not, it's not realistic. <laughs> Hey, the the, re, the reality side of James coming into play here. I love yeah, it. it. It's just not realistic. Like, just just be 
be realistic. I'm not going to go um, to a construction yard and bring my little hammer and be like, okay, we're going to take out all this concrete. Like, it just, that's not realistic. I'm not going to go to a a flood and be like, oh, well, with this little sand castle bucket, I'm going to, I'm going to take out all the water in your home. It's not realistic. So just be realistic. These fires are super hot. They're spreading. And again, it's, it's nature. Like even like this little breeze of wind can literally pull a fire um, in one direction where it wasn't going to before. So again, there's so much, so many professionals that are trying to deal with this. Again, don't be that hero that wants to stand in and be like, oh, my house hose is going to, is going to be able to put all this out. It's not, it's just, it's not the amount of water that needs to be, to be able to do this. Even like if you see like the big planes that have like those big, like cargo full of water, like even those aren't even doing it. They have to do multiple runs. So your little house hose is not doing anything. So just please use common sense. That is, that's fantastic. That's, that's the way we want to end right there. But again, thank you guys for tuning in. We always say every Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you guys haven't already, please follow and subscribe to whatever streaming service you guys use so you guys never miss an episode. Um, again, we are super appreciative. I know we are getting close to that 600 view mark across all the um, all the platforms, which is amazing. Again, starting this off with Mike last year, like even to get to a hundred was amazing. And to think that we're almost at 600 and again, we're, we're plugging towards that a thousand view mark probably towards the end of the year. So I'm really happy. And again, I'm just really appreciative to everyone that tunes in every single week. And again, comes back and again, insurance is not the most entertaining topic. It's not like we're sitting here talking about sports or the news. I know this is really news, but like more entertaining hyping vibing kind of topics it's a lot of people really don't think of these this kind of stuff but again we do appreciate that people do tune in and again i hope that people are taking some information back and go wow i never really thought about that before that's the biggest thing we i love that i love being able to share experience and knowledge and, and what we've learned over the years to to kind of provide back to uh those consumers that need to know about this stuff yeah so Again, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week, and we'll check you guys next week on the Broker Breakdown.